Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Dan Hirsch. Dan operates the terrific site, The Baseball Gauge. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Dan Hirsch. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Well, Dan, I ask everyone that's right at the top of the show, tell me what initially got you into baseball in the first place. Yeah, sure. My, it's definitely my dad. Um, he got me in at an early age, taught me how to keep score, um, took me to Shea Stadium and Veterans Stadium when I was young. Um, he had a total baseball encyclopedia that I just poured over and tried to memorize as much as possible. So, And he's a lot like me, loves baseball, so I think I just got it from him. Were you a collector as a kid? Uh, yes, I collected a ton of baseball cards, which I still have, although I don't look at them too often. Um, and uh, also played a lot of APA, like Stratomatic, um, and that really got me into the numbers and probabilities, which you know I'm still into today. I want to ask you a little bit about your website. I visit it frequently. It's a great site, and the ease of navigation on the site is so nice, and it's so easy to just be able to click things and see the different menus. It's it's really nice, and it's like Baseball Reference and Fangraphs are both great, obviously, but it is easy to get lost on those sites, especially Baseball Reference sometimes. So I do want to ask you about what your favorite statistics are on the site, what you like to use the site for the most, and how you use your own site. Well, my favorite statistics, I mean, the site is basically uh, revolves around war. So obviously that, uh, you know, that's obviously one of my favorites. Um, I originally made the site as a way to view stats for myself. And I kind of felt like if anybody else enjoyed doing that as well, then they can do it. So that's why I put it online. Um, so I use it to, uh, just as the title says, like to gauge players and teams uh, versus, you know, all different eras and different players from all throughout base, uh, baseball history. Um, and it's a, I think it's a good way to, to evaluate Hall of Fame, um, to evaluate uh, importance of plays that have championship win probability, um, uh, just to you know gauge what the what the biggest plays in baseball history are, or as far as uh, postseason probabilities. Um, you know, all different types of way to <laughs> to use the word again to gauge uh, baseball history. Uh, I try to put on the site. You have baseball references war tapped into the site, but you also have your own version of war. How does yours differ? Uh, yeah, so I think the biggest difference is in the fielding component. I use a metric called defense regression analysis, and it was created by Michael Humphreys. He wrote a book called Wizardry. Um, if you're interested in baseball stats and uh, fielding stats in particular, I definitely uh, take a look at it. And uh, basically, it's uh, it's a way to or he uses season stats to evaluate fielders, which is very difficult to do, but he has found a way to do uh, to do it without getting too involved. Um, it's probably the most accurate way of gauging a player's defensive value through season stats. Um, and that's probably the biggest difference you know, when you're comparing my version versus baseball references or baseball prospectus or fan graphs. Um, I also use a runs allowed component for the, the pitching side. Um, and another thing that I uh, make available on the site is a way to customize the, uh, the wins above replacement where you can take a fifth based pitching. You can combine that with baseball references fielding and my offense, which is very similar to baseball references offensive uh, wins above replacement. Um, but basically there's, there's a way to uh, customize the, the metric as, as much as you want. 
Now, Baseball Reference displays a wins above average uh, metric on their site. The other two do not do that, Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus. But you not only have the wins above average for your own version of war, you have wins above greatness. Tell me about the difference between wins above greatness to wins above replacement and wins above average. So wins above average is obviously compared to an average team or an average player, and that would be a 500 winning percentage. Um, whereas wins above replacement is, uh, I try to stay consistent with fan graphs and baseball reference at a 294 winning percentage. Um, so when we talk about wins above greatness, and I wish I had it in front of me, I don't, I think it's a 550 winning percentage. So it's above, um, it's above average. Uh, so, so most of baseball history, most players will actually have a negative value because the majority of players are below average or below grade, I guess you can say. Um, and I, the reason why I came up with that is years ago, um, if you follow Tom Tango and his blog, he came up with a way to, you know, the way he thought that a Hall of Fame evaluation should run. And he suggested if you're either a 550 or 600 replacement, or I shouldn't say replacement level, we'll call it a greatness level. Um, and then also remove all negative seasons. And that would be maybe the preferred career total to look at. So that's why I added it. Um, and it, and I, in addition to my uh, customization, you can also make it so that negative seasons are not included so that they're just zeroed out. Um, so if you do that, I feel like wins above greatness is a good way to evaluate a Hall of Fame candidacy. And that was always my problem with Jack Morris, who's going in this year. And we're actually going to do a Hall of Fame draft here in just a minute. We're going to do an honor of induction weekend. We're going to do a draft of active players who we feel are most likely to make the Hall of Fame, and I think we'll go 40 deep. The record in the uh, the record for the most Hall of Famers playing in a season in the integration era is 39, and this is actually in 1982, which is interesting, as this just happened with uh, Trammell and Morris and Reigns going in last year, and Trammell and Morris this year. 1982 now has the record. It has taken over, I believe, 68 and 69, and there's like 71. There's a couple of years there sandwiched in the late 60s that have a that have 38. But now 1982 has 39. So we're going to see if we can come up with 40 potential Hall of Famers that might be playing today. But my problem with Jack Morris and his Hall of Fame candidacy was never his wins above replacement when people would would go there. It was his wins above average. It's how little separation he was above average. And above greatness, it's even worse. So that's my problem with Omar Vizquel as well. So I do like that higher standard when measuring Hall of Famers. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Well, let's get into the draft. I think this is the first draft I've ever done on the podcast, so I guess that's an homage to Effectively Wild. We're going to draft active players uh, within reason if they're in the minors. If you want to take a shot at Vlad Jr., that's ambitious, but you can do that. And I think uh, if you want to include David Wright, that's fine too. But we'll go uh, 20 guys each, and we'll uh, talk about some of the interesting ones. The, the interesting thing about this is the guys who are the most obvious Hall of Famers are probably the least interesting ones to discuss. But we'll start the draft now. You have the first pick, and then you will just go one, and then we'll go 2-2 two, two each all the way through. Yeah, just as you said, it's probably the, the least interesting. I'm going to go with Albert Pujols, just because if he retired today, it's a no-brainer, um, even though he's declining. Um, it's obvious that he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, still a 100-win player that he may slip off of that, depending on how uh, poorly these next few years go. But a 100-win player in the expansion era, that's very rare, and he is one of them. For my next two, or for my first two picks, I'm going to go with Ichiro and Miguel Cabrera. I don't think there's a lot of controversy there. I think if you know Ichiro is already just retired and Cabrera is going, who knows, he'll finish out his contract. But those guys are already first ballot Hall of Famers. 
Right, and they they reach the uh, the threshold of three thousand hits if you still you know require that for a Hall of Famer. Cabrera hasn't gotten to five hundred yet, but he will. Right, my next pick is Adrian Beltre uh, for for my second pick, and then uh, after that, I'm going to go with Mike Trout. I know he doesn't have the seven years or the ten years yet, but uh, I mean it's obvious. Even if he retired today, they'd probably even make a, a special consideration to put him in. Um, uh, it would, something would have to go horribly wrong for him to not be a Hall of Famer. I completely agree. It's interesting, though. I had Trout 5 on my board. Is that where you had him? I actually had him at 3. I had him uh, before uh, Miguel Cabrera. Uh, ahead of Cabrera and ahead of Ichiro? Uh, yeah, just, I mean, I know that uh, he, like I said, he hasn't hit the 10 years, but I, I, I mean, I think he's in the running to be the best player of all time, and you, know, you can compare his first seven years to any other player, and so far he's gotten there. So yeah, it might be a little, little bit higher than it should, but uh, I, I think he's almost a no-doubter at this point. Yeah, I agree. My next two would be, actually, I want to go with two pitchers here. I'm going to go with Kershaw and Scherzer. I think that Scherzer's going to win another Cy Young here, and Kershaw already is in. He's got his 10 years, and I think what he's done, he's 60 wins. His, his uh, ERA plus is outrageous. His wins above average is outrageous. I think Kershaw's already there, and I think Scherzer, certainly after this year, will be there too, even though he's a little light on wins above replacement. I talked with Jay Jaffe about this a little bit last year during Hall of Fame season. I do think that especially with modern pitchers, we're going to have to reevaluate our standards because very few of them are even going to get where, you know, Schilling and Mucina reached, never mind where Clemens and Johnson reached. So we are going to have to reevaluate our standards, and I think Scherzer is going to be an easy lock of a choice. For my next two picks, I'll go with uh, Justin Verlander. Maybe if you asked me this two years ago, I wouldn't have said it, but he's uh, had a resurgence, you know, and he's definitely up there. And after Verlander, I'm going to go with Joey Votto. He's one of the best hitters in the game. He's done it for a long time, and I don't see him uh, regressing anytime soon. Yeah, and I, I think that Votto, if Votto's going to be somewhat interesting, he's going to comfortably clear the jaw standard when it's all and done. He's going to have led the league in on-base percentage who knows how many times, maybe 10 times. But he's not going to hit any of those major milestone numbers, and that's in part because he walks so much, but he's not going to come close to 3,000 hits or 500 home runs. And for his for, uh, first baseman, his uh, numbers, his traditional numbers, his traditional counting numbers are not going to be there, but I have no question that he will get in, and I actually had him right around the same spot. I, I think he will get in, but I, I do think his case will be interesting, and I think it would be even more interesting if he was on the ballot now with this group of writers as opposed to 15 years from now i think it'll look a little different and people won't really sweat too much his uh his on base percentage rather than his rbi total right especially when he is eligible in uh what 10 15 years um yeah the electorate's going to even change even more than it already is so i agree now I think we're getting into an interesting zone where I think we're getting to, I think our first nine, what if we had nine picks? I think they're like, I, I had the same nine guys just in a slightly different order, but now I, I think we're going to see some variation on our lists. I'm going to take CC Sabathia, but that's not where the variation is, I don't think. My next one is Yadier Molina, and I think that this happens sometimes where perceived value is not quite what actual value is. And sometimes that hurts somebody, and sometimes that helps them. And I think Yadier Molina is not quite as good as his reputation leads some to believe. But you already hear all of the Hall of Fame chatter around him now, and not just among 
Cardinals fans and broadcasters, but when he plays in other ballparks, they introduce him and they talk about him on the broadcast as a future Hall of Famer. It's been on MLB Network, future Hall of Famer. That stuff matters. It gets in people's head. And I think Yadier Molina is going to get in pretty comfortably. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how he does with the BBWAA. Um, but I, I think when you talk about uh, value, um, especially the catcher position, um, some of these war metrics don't include uh, everything. Uh, well, they don't, none of these include everything, but, you know, especially when you talk about catchers and catcher framing um, and just uh, guiding a pitching, pitching staff. Um, I, I guess you can call me intangibles. I, I feel like Molina has that. Um, he has that reputation. He's guided the Cardinals uh, twice to uh, world series and uh, three world series, two victories. Um, so, I mean, he, yeah, he definitely has the resume, even if it's when you're looking at wins above replacement, I think he's about 36 right now. When you look at baseball references or, um, you know, that's not your normal hall of fame standard for a catcher. Any doubt about Sabathia at this point? I think this late surge has definitely put him in. I, I had him at 21 on my board. Um, and I actually tend to go with the older players who have more of a history to them um, as opposed to a younger player who maybe have, maybe has, you know, two, three, four years in the league, even if, um, even if they're, uh, you know, players who are lower on my board are more likely to, you know, finish with more wins above replacement for their career. Um, individually, they're less likely to than a guy like Sabathia, you know, he's already, he's already done it and he's uh, created so much value already. So I tend to, uh, go with the players who have more of a history. I, I, I kind of, um, when I was making this, uh, I, my, my, my list, I was thinking about how this is similar to like a prospect list where uh, you might have a guy at, let's say, rookie ball who's 18 years old, maybe just drafted out of high school or just came over from the Dominican, um, and he may have a higher ceiling than a 23-year-old at AA or AAA, but you may be more likely to get a, a major leaguer with that uh, 23-year-old than you would the 18-year-old, even if the 18-year-old has a higher ceiling. So that's kind of how I see my list is a Sabathia type um, is more is probably more likely to be uh, to hit the Hall of Fame level than a younger player who hasn't uh, done it as much or accumulated as much war yet. Yeah, I agree. And it's tough. I, that was one of the interesting things I found about the list. It was sort of like, you know, this we're going deep here, and obviously not all of these guys will make the Hall of Fame. And there may be players we don't draft that make it, and those will be almost certainly younger guys. But it's it comes to a point where we have to think about giving the historical significance of being very good at a very young age. You have to consider right. Albies and Acuna and Torres. But do you consider them more than someone like Tulowitzki, who is like a 45 to 50 win player, depending on the site, but seems to have peaked out? So if Tulowitzki, if this is it, he's not going to get in. But it's a long way to go for those guys to even get to 45 wins, never mind 60 or anything close right. to that. So it, that's a tough call down on the list for me. But with Sabathia, I do think he clears both of those thresholds. I think he is a an old guy with a lot of narrative, the Cy Young. He won a World Series. He could have had another Cy Young potentially when he switched to the National League. He should get 3,000 Ks. I think he'll comfortably get in and playing a significant chunk uh, a significant chunk of his career with the Yankees I don't think will hurt him either. Right, and uh, to uh, add on to that point about the younger players, throughout baseball history there's been 
so many players who have had uh, great careers in their in their 20s, but just couldn't continue in their 30s. Um, guys like Cesar Cedeno or Veda Pinson, Jim Fergosi, David Wright, um, who, you know, when when they were younger, you could have looked at them and said, yeah, surefire Hall of Famer, and just something happened, whether it's injuries or whatnot. Um, and I feel like that happens more often than not than, you know, it's so difficult, and it's a testament to the guys who do make the Hall of Fame. It's so difficult to stay at that level for such a long time, not just for a five-year peak, for, but for, you know, 15, 20 years. So, yeah, an- another another reason to maybe favor a guy who has more of a history. My next two picks, I'm actually going to go with Buster Posey and Jose Altuve. Posey, I mean, he's easily, uh, uh, I guess you can argue if he's the best catcher of his generation when you compare him with uh, Molina, but I feel like he's the best catcher of the generation. Um, You know, he has the three World Series uh, championships. And with Altuve, um, what's not to like about the guy? Um, He's, you root for him. He's, uh, he's got the batting average. If you want to go with traditional stats, um, he's on his way to 3000 hits. Um, I know that's, you know, it's going to take a lot and he's going to have to stay healthy, but, um, he's, he's the best second baseman in the game right now. And, uh, he's, he's well on his way to a hall of fame career. I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually had Posey next on my board and I had Altuve at 19. So a little bit lower, but, uh, uh, I, I don't have too much of a doubt that he's going to go in. It's just interesting. He has got a lot of the traditional things going for him, but still from a wins above replacement standpoint, he's only, I mean, he's like 60% of the way there, and he's certainly got wins above average in his favor too. He won a World Series. He won an MVP. All of those things will help, as, as will the batting titles, but he is certainly one of those guys where if he retired today, he would not get in. And I think um, pretty much everybody else on this list is, you know, in that category. They still need to continue to make their case. Yeah, I'm going with two guys next who I think are are close. And one is Zach Greinke, and uh, the next is Chris Sale. Greinke is probably a little closer than Sale because he's played longer. Greinke, I, I think Joe Posnanski actually wrote a Zach Greinke's going to the Hall of Fame piece the other day on MLB.com. The Greinke Hall of Fame narrative is already starting. He'll likely clear 200 wins, 2,500 strikeouts. He'll have a wins above replacement when he's done, probably in the mid-70s. Granky, I think, will get in, and I think he'll actually get in via the writers, though he'll have a long Mucina Blylevin path to the, to induction, though I do think he'll get there. Sale's dominance is outrageous. I think if he has one more year like this, I, I would consider him a Hall of Famer. I see Sale getting in pretty comfortably when his time has come, and I do think, even though he's far away from it, I do think Sale's going to get 3,000 Ks. Yeah, I, I think it's funny with Chris Sale. Um, when he first came up and he came up as a reliever, uh, the, the thing on him was, is his body going to hold up? You know, he's tall and lanky and now he's on on pace for his fifth straight 200 inning season um and you almost look at him now like he's Randy Johnson he's just never going to get hurt um and yeah I I completely agree with the 3000 K's um he's just amazing to watch dominates hitters in the the division that he's into so uh I'm kind of disappointed that you took those two guys because they were next on my board yeah with my next pick I have Mookie Betts and Chase Utley um, Betts, you know, he's still early in his career, but, uh, the body work so far, he's, uh, you know, I think he's at 30 wins for Eddie. He's 25 years old, uh, 30 wins above, above replacement. He's only 25 years old. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely uh, making the case right now. He just has a long way to go, but I think, um, for anybody in his age range, he's, he's definitely up there. 
And now Utley, Utley's one of the most interesting guys on the board. I actually had him a little lower, and I think Utley, of all active players, I think he's fourth in career wins above replacement, and his wins above average is very high as well. He clears the Jaws standard, and since Cano got popped, he is the best second baseman of his generation. Uh, I think he'll be considered that, but he doesn't pass the sniff tests, and he has no major hardware. I think he's really going to struggle on the ballot. I was having a conversation on Twitter with someone recently. I, I think he's, he could be in jeopardy of being one of those guys that falls off the ballot his first year on it. Right, yeah. I wonder if he's going to be a Kenny Lofton type too. But, um, you know, he actually compares uh, pretty well with Bobby Gritch. He fell off his first time on it too. Right. Um, and if you look at their numbers, they're pretty similar, um, where they have the, such a high peak. Um, not so much the uh, the career total numbers, um, but I feel like the difference between Grish and Utley is the electorate. Now, Utley, if he's retiring at the end of the year, then he'll be eligible 2020, uh, 2024, I believe. Um, and I feel like value is better understood now. Um, and in six more years, even more so maybe, Um so I feel like he may have a better chance than a, than a Kenny Lofton type um, who is one and done. Uh, but you might be right. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't have the hardware. Um, he has the, he has the world series. Um, he may, he probably should have won those two MVPs that, that the Philly, that his Philly teammates won those two years, but uh, that Rollins and Howard won. But um, you know, if you're asking me if he should be a hall of fame, I think a hall of famer, I think he should uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the voters say. Yeah, I agree. I think he should be too. I, I would vote for him in a heartbeat, but I, I, I'm really interested to see how this plays out with him because, uh, you know, I think like best case scenario with the writers is he's in Jeff Kent territory. And I think if you ask your typical voter now, who was a better second baseman, who had a better career, Kent or Utley, I think that the majority of them would tell you Kent, but maybe I'm wrong and I hope I am. Yeah, Yeah, we'll have to see. It'll be interesting. My next two picks, I'm going to go with Craig Kimbrell and Joe Maurer. I think Maurer is interesting because if I were rating the catchers, I would actually have Maurer one. I think he's the most deserving of between him and Posey and, and Molina. But I, I think given how his performance has been at first base and the injury history, I, I think Maurer's actually going to struggle, even though he's another guy that clears the jaw standards. One thing he does have going for him is he did uh, recently get his 2000th hit. So that is something that has been like an unofficial barrier of getting people into the Hall of Fame since the expansion era. And he did clear that. So Maurer is still adding value. He's already at 55 wins. I, I don't know how he's going to do on the ballot, and I don't know how he'll do in front of his peers either, who, unfairly or not, he has the reputation of being soft, and that's the kind of thing that doesn't play with the Veterans Committee, at least how they're assembled now. Kimberl, I just think is going to go in and be in, go in pretty convincingly. He's the best reliever of his generation so far. I think he just recently became, was it the third closer ever to get 30 saves eight years in a row when the other two are Rivera and Hoffman? He's striking out people at outrageous rates, and I think he's going to be one of those first or second ballot Hall of Fame closers. Yeah, actually, I had um, Kimbrell as the only reliever on my board. Actually, um, so when I was making my list, I was kind of surprised at the available relievers, and I'm usually not an advocate for too many relievers in the Hall of Fame. Um, but yeah, I think uh, he's, you know, he has the history um, and he's probably the only one, maybe Aroldis Chapman or Kenley Jansen, but I feel like Kimbrell is probably the best bet of any active reliever. And uh, with Joe Maurer, I feel um, it's going to be interesting because he last was a primary catcher in 
2013. By the time he ends his career, it's, it's going to be a long time you know, from the time that uh, you know, he, was an, he was an everyday catcher. And it, it'll be interesting to see how voters view him, whether it's as a catcher or a first baseman. And I, I feel bad for the guy because not only the concussions, but would he hit 28 home runs in the last year of the Metrodome? And then they moved to Target Field, which is obviously a pitcher's park. And he hasn't been near that since. And I wonder if he had stayed in the Metrodome. And maybe I'm wrong about the 2009 season, but maybe if he stayed in the Metrodome for the rest of his career, his numbers would uh, be a little bit better. Where did you have him on your board? Um, I had Joe Maurer at 19. 19. Okay, yeah, about the same spot. Who are you, who are you taking next here? The next two are Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado. I don't think I have to say too much about Machado. He's young. He's good. Um, so he has a lot of time left. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I have to say too much about him. Nolan Arenado, on the other hand, he obviously has you know amazing numbers. I think he's going to maybe be hurt by the Coors effect, just like Todd Helton and uh, Larry Walker have been. Helton hasn't been hurt by it yet, but he will be. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I, I mean, all of him talk, not, not in the voting. Um, you know, people already downgrade Helton, and it, it happened in uh, MVP talk to just anybody who's at quarters for a, uh, you know, for, for a good amount of time. Um, you know, people are going to talk down his numbers just because of the quarters effect. So it'll be interesting with Arenado, assuming he plays the majority of his career at quarters. I agree. I had both of those guys. I had both of those guys coming up shortly. Uh, I actually had another sort of younger guy ahead of them both, though, and that's Stanton, Giancarlo Stanton. I think he's going to comfortably reach 500 home runs. I actually was looking at your on your site today. You have one of like the Bill James' favorite toy link on your site, and I was like, well, how likely is it to get to 700? And I think it was 25%. I thought that was aggressive, but, I mean, 700 home runs will certainly get you into the Hall of Fame. And the other guy I'm going to take here is Bryce Harper, who... I know people think he's a bust and he's not having his best year this year, but he's still so young and he's been really valuable right. and he has the MVP. I do think Harper's going to get there too. I think of Harper as like, what if he's not Mickey Mantle? What if he's not Hank Aaron? What if he's Duke Snyder? That still gets you into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I look at the age too. I mean, he's still so young, still has so much time left. And I try not to uh, focus too much on this year in particular. I know he's having a down year. Um, but yeah, I, it's going to be hard to see him not having a, a full career. Although I wonder, you know, if he is looked at as a disappointment um, just based on all the expectations that he had, you know, being drafted, leaving high school early, being drafted number one. And if he didn't live up to the expectation, if that's going to hurt him, probably not. But uh, it might be some sort of a factor. Yeah, I agree. And my next two I have, uh, and these guys are usually um, grouped together, uh, Francisco Lindor and Carlos Correa. Um, it's it's tough to choose one over the other. This year, you'll probably go with Lindor just because he's having a better year. Maybe last year you chose Correa, but um, they're both just the same age, um, very similar players, and to differentiate them as far as Hall of Fame probability. But I think at this part of the draft, I think they, uh, they, they have a decent chance. Yeah, I agree. I actually had them at 35 and 36 right after each other with Lindor slightly ahead. But I, I do think that of those young players, they have a really good chance and they're certainly off to a good start. My next two, I'm going to go with Paul Goldschmidt and Corey Kluber. And those are tough. Goldschmidt is already... 
He's still great, but he's not quite at his peak level where he was two years ago. Kluber, he's already got the two Cy Youngs. It's possible he wins another. He got a late start, and late bloomers don't fare well on the Hall of Fame. They don't hit the traditional counting numbers, and they don't really get the value numbers either. So late bloomers have a hard time, and I know that Kluber's going to face that. But at this point in the draft, I think he's a pretty good pick. Yeah, actually, um, I had both of those guys on my list, but a little bit farther down, um, pretty much for that reason as far as uh, late starters, um, Goldschmidt didn't have his, I think, his first full season until he was 24 or 25, which isn't that young, but it's also, um, or isn't that old, but it's also not that young. So uh, I I feel like, it, you know, to make a Hall of Fame case, it's just, it's a benefit to start out when you're 22, maybe 23, um, and get started early. But yeah, those guys are both on my board. My next two are Freddie Freeman and Madison Bumgarner. And like I said, I try not to focus too much on uh, the 2018 season or exactly what's going on right now with Bumgarner because he's missed some time. But uh, I think he has that postseason, uh, the 2014 postseason, in addition to other other years as well. Um, he's still young. It's actually, I, I continually uh, surprise myself whenever I look at his age. It seems like every year I'm surprised. Oh, yeah, he's still that young because he seems like he's been around for so long. Um, and if he can stay healthy, uh, I think he has a decent chance. And with Free- Freeman, he's just a consistent hitter. Um, he looks like he's going to be a uh, an Atlanta Brave for life kind of guy. Um, and, yeah, he's just, I think he's just on his way. I agree. I had them both on my board coming up here shortly as well. But I'm going to stay true to my board, and I'm going to go with two second basemen. I'm going to go with Dustin Pedroia and Robinson Cano. And I didn't know where to put Cano. I didn't know whether to lead him off entirely. And then as we got to the list, I'm kind of like, well, you know, he is already deserving. He's one of those guys, if he retired today, his numbers are deserving of the Hall of Fame. I do think he has a chance at 3,000 hits still, and he has the potential for 400 home runs. No second baseman has done those things. He did destroy his chances with his positive PED test this year, and he has been dishonest about it. But without the test, I rank him ahead of Votto. He would be in the top 10. If this didn't happen, he would be above Sabathia too. So I'd have him right behind Verlander on my list, which I'd have him ninth. But right now, I this is where I felt comfortable with him. I don't know if he's ever going to get in. I don't know if the attitude towards PEDs will change, but he's too good, to I think, to, to go undrafted. And Pedroia seems to be at the end here with all these injuries. He can't stay healthy, but he has the narrative going in his favor. He was Rookie of the Year. He was MVP, two Red Sox championships. He was a star, and I think that matters. His career totals are going to be off if this is the end of Pedroia or if he's just a, if he's just a guy going forward. It's going to be tough for him to get in, but I do think he will get some support. Uh, yeah, those two guys, especially Cano, if, you would have, if we would have talked about this a couple months ago, Cano would have been uh, between 5 and 10 on my board. Um, and since we're talking about the, what we think the voters will do, um, yeah, I had, like, just like you, I had no idea where to put him. Um, I wasn't sure. I try, I tried to stay away from him just cause I really have no idea. Um, and with Pedroia, uh, if you would ask me two years ago, I was all about his Hall of Fame chances, but because of the injuries, and it seems like it, it just gets worse every year with his injuries, I'm just not sure, and I don't know if he's hit that level yet. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see with, with those two. Um, next on my board is Chris Bryant and Aaron Judge. Now, these are two guys I'm, I guess I'm going to go away from what I said as far as young guys, but uh, I feel like uh, Bryant is one of the best third basemen in the game. Um, he seems like the type that 
you know, playing with the Cubs, uh, you know, playing at Wrigley, you know, he's, he's had monster years so far. And same with Aaron Judge, you know, I thought, I thought he'd have a sophomore slump. And so far, so far, so good. Um, but there's such a long time for both of them because they're so young, you know, to see if they get into the Hall of Fame. But we're getting down to the board where we're just not sure yet. There's, there's, there's too many ifs with all these guys. Yeah, I completely agree. And Judge is a guy, it was tough for me to know what to do with him because he is a late bloomer that will hurt him. And I didn't know, I, I had him at 39 on my board, and I the guy right ahead of him I had was Andrew McCutcheon, who McCutcheon is probably not going to get there at this point, but there, he will get some support. And McCutcheon, to me, I'm not taking him, but just like at this moment at least, but McCutcheon is a 40-win player right now, and it's possible that he retires, he's still producing, as a 45-50 to 50 win player. I don't know if Judge gets there. That's a difficult number to get to. Yeah, and if you talk about, uh, and I'm certainly no expert on uh, players' bodies and, and how long they'll last, but if you compare him to a guy like Frank Howard, you, know, you wonder how long his body will last being such a big guy. Um, and like you said, he's, he's a late bloomer, a late starter. So yeah, he, he definitely has to put in a long career, and it, only time will tell if that happens. Um, as far as uh, you, you mentioned McCutcheon, there were the three guys on my list that I just wasn't sure about. Whereas if a couple of years ago you asked me, I would have had Felix Hernandez, Andrew McCutcheon, and Dustin Pedroia as you know pretty pretty good chances. And I just feel like the last couple of years, um, each of those guys, for, for varying for various reasons, have fallen off. So I kind of put those on the side as guys who I don't have on my list. But um, yeah, a couple of years ago I definitely would have had them on there. So I'm actually going to take one of those guys right now. I'm going to take John Lester, and then I'm going to take Felix Hernandez because I still think Felix has a shot at 3,000 Ks, and Felix is going to be one of those guys where the narrative, I think even when he was great, I think the narrative around him was that he was greater than he was. I think people thought he was like the best pitcher in baseball for a decade, and I don't think he was ever quite that, but I think Felix is going to have a lot going for him because he started so young. He's, he will have a nice win total uh, for a modern era pitcher. I think he will get to 3,000 Ks, and I don't know. I You know, who knows? Sabathia was able to find something later in his career. I hope Felix does too. I root for all these guys to get in. It's like I love rooting for guys to get into the Hall of Fame. I'm a Red Sox fan, but I root for CeCe every time he pitches, as long as it's not against the Red Sox. I mean, I, I hope these guys get in. <laughs> Felix is one of those guys who... It's funny, the, this list, if we did this five years ago, we would have Ryan Braun, Felix Hernandez, Troy Tulowitzki, Evan Longoria, Andrew McCutcheon. None of those guys are looking great right now. Right, and this is a, this is a fun exercise. Um, but I was thinking uh, that I don't want to look at this, in, like you said, in five years, just to look back and think, oh, what was I thinking? Uh, just because, like you said, it's so difficult, and things change so much, and you, just, you can't predict it. So you just go with uh, you know, the, the best technology you have right now. Um, one thing I noticed about Felix Hernandez when, when I was going over my list is for the past three years total, he has 1.6 war for the past three years. And, I mean, he has really slowed down. So, yeah, like you said, he'd, he'd have to have a, a CC Sabathia type resurgence where he discovers uh, something with, you know, diminished velocity. So we'll have to see. If he retired today, would you put him in with his numbers right now? Felix, no. Um, and... It's tough. Uh, he, you know, he came up with, uh, you know, he was a top prospect. Everybody was excited about him. And he, like you said, he was one of the best pitchers in the game for, for a long time. But I just feel like he hasn't hit that yet. Um, and, I, and I think, the, I, I assume the voters would, would think that as well. Oh, man, it's, it's, a, tough, it's a tough area of the board. I'm going to go with Angelson Simmons. Um, I had him on my board, too. I feel like, 
Okay, yeah, it's it's a tough one. Um, you know, it, it, we live in the age of uh, gifts and uh, web gems, and uh, you know, you know, he's he's a a regular on those. You know, as far as the amazing plays he has, and his bat has been better than I think most people expected. Um, I was actually kind of disappointed that he wasn't an all-star yet this year, but the American League shortstop uh, list is pretty deep. Um, but I, I really like him. Um, you know, when you, when you when you look at wins above replacement and you look at his fielding war, uh, I mean, he's up there with, with the all-time greats. So I feel like if he can stay healthy and continue what he's doing, then he'll be a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. Um, oh, boy. And the next, the next few, I'm, I'm just not sure. Uh, I guess I'll have to go with Evan Longoria. And I know that's kind of a surprise, especially since he's injured um, or just coming back from an injury. Um, I'm a, I'm a Rays fan, so uh, full disclosure, I, I root for the guy more than more than other players. But um, he had the body of work in, in his early career, and if I feel like if he can, he's, he's clearly declining. But I think if he can hold off that decline for for five plus years or so, then he might have the the uh, the career totals, uh, maybe not the peak, but the career totals to be considered football Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's interesting. I had those guys a little bit further down. I had them at 41 and 42 on my board, but I had them right next to each other. So yeah, I think we're at a, at a point now where it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe. Though I think that uh, Longoria is already borderline and Simmons is, I think, going to be the player that um, that some of the writers now actually think Omar Vizquel was. I think that will actually end up being what Simmons' career is, but we'll see. Uh, he still has a ways to go as well. I know I could, uh, you mentioned you only had Kimbrell on your board, so I know I could cheat this, but I'm going to stay true to my board here, and I'm just going to go with Araldus Chapman and Kenley Jansen. Oh, okay. Those guys are really good too, and uh, they strike everybody out, and they're going to have impressive save totals. Yeah. Uh, Chapman does have the lingering domestic violence thing. That's not great. That right. will probably hurt him a little bit. And he also, he did win the World Series with the Cubs. I think there'll be a lot of narrative around that team. But he wasn't particularly good in that World Series. I, that will probably ding him a little bit, too. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, closers have up and down years and then can rebound. Those two guys have been so elite for a long time. I think they're going to have a real chance, too. Boy, oh boy. With the next two, I'm going to go with, what, what number are we at right now? I have us at 35. Uh, I'm going to take Jacob deGrom. And he's a late starter. but. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at the Mets starters, and I'm going to uh, include Matt Harvey back in that, uh, he's the guy that stays healthy. Um, he's the guy who's done it every year, and I feel like he gets less uh, press than Syndergaard and than Harvey has. But, uh, well, maybe not so now since he's on the trade block. But, um, yeah, he stays healthy, and, uh, you know, at, at this point of the board, I think he might have one of the best shots as far as starting pitchers are concerned. And after that, I'm going to go with, he's injured now, but I'm going to go with Corey Seager. Um, it's really early in his career, but uh, he's shown flashes of greatness if he can come back. And I know it's just Tommy John surgery for a shortstop, but if he can come back and, uh, and continue what he was doing, then he might have a shot. That's interesting. I think that's the first player picked that has not been on my board at all. Perhaps he should be, given, given some of the other guys, but yeah, not on my board at all. It's uh, it's it, at this point of the draft, it's tough. Um, you know, you got a guy, a lot of guys who are really young, um, and uh, yeah, I just, I, I know he's injured now, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like he has the one of the better shots as far as the guys remaining. 
I guess uh, I guess these are my last two. If we're going to forty, these are picks thirty-eight and thirty-nine. I uh, I'm going to take old guys here. I just think that it's it's going to be harder for some of these younger guys to get to where these guys are. I'm going to take Cole Hamels who has struggled lately, but still has some really impressive numbers. And I'm going to take Andrew McCutcheon. McCutcheon was one of the best players in the game for five or six years. He did win the MVP. He's not at that level anymore, but he is still productive. Um, I think it's reasonable he gets around 50 wins. 50 wins for a current player, I think that gets you pretty close. So I'll take McCutcheon and I'll take Hamels and, you know, we'll see. I'm not convinced either gets in, though. I think Hamels deserves a much closer look than he will probably get. Right, and I and I keep hitting on this, but at this point of the the list, I I'm not, I don't feel great about the candidacy. But if we're going with you know who's who's left, um, you know who has the best shot. So, so I have uh, the final pick here. Yep, I'm gonna go with a risky one, and I'm gonna go with Juan Soto. <laughs> I know that's uh, ridiculous, but I think I saw uh, Jay Jaffe say that um, when you look at guys who are his age and have had this much playing time. Um, as far as guys who have retired and are eligible for the Hall of Fame, 25% of them, just on that alone, the fact that, they, that he came up so early and had so much playing time, 25% of them made, made it to the Hall of Fame. Um, obviously, he has a ton of work to do. It's not even close. But uh, at number 40, that's, uh, that's the one I'm going to go with just because it's tough to come up with somebody else, I guess, at this point. Yeah, I had him on the list, too, near the bottom. And, I, you know, for the same reasons. I just didn't know what to do with some of these guys. I didn't know what to do with Soto and Benatendi and Gleyber Torres and Acuna and Albies. One or two of those guys might make the Hall of Fame, but to put them ahead of McCutcheon, see, it's like they have so far to go just to get to his level. It's <laughs> it's really hard. Right. Yeah, Acuna might have been a better pick than Soto, but uh, yeah, all, all those that that type of player who come up comes up so early and has such promise. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be a long time though. Well, this was super fun. I hope that uh, I hope that there is a current class that can break the 39-man record that 1982 currently has. 1982 will probably add to that. Is now that Trammell's in, Whitaker has a good chance. There's still players like, you know, Dwight Evans who who is very good and well, people will take a look at and Bobby Gritch uh, who we mentioned earlier is a high peak guy Dale Murphy is a guy who I think actually has a really good chance so there are guys left from 1982 that are going to uh, get in I think two of those guys certainly will get in at some point in the next five to ten years so I hope we get to a point where we see we can just say oh it's you know in the modern era you can expect to see about 40 guys who will make the Hall of Fame I don't know if if we're going to get there especially with this current group. I think if we backed it up to 2012 or to 2011, we'd have a better chance of getting to 40 guys who might actually make it. But I think this is an interesting group with so many young guys who are so good, but I am cautious with them given the history of the guys we talked about earlier, the Braun, the Tulewitzkis, the Longoria, the McCutcheons, that whole group of players that kind of fizzled. Even like Ryan Howard was in that group at one point and he had a massive mm-hmm. drop-off. So that is going to happen to some of these guys. Is there anyone that you're surprised that no, that wasn't on either of our boards that didn't get picked anybody that you think that uh i'll tell you one that is ian kinsler ian kinsler is a 57 win player and i feel like kinsler was always going to be that guy who is going to test our faith in war and you have a website that is based around war and i have a podcast that is called replacement level we are fans (laughs) of war but ian kinsler (laughs) is a 57 win player he should have been taken so much higher, and neither one of us thinks he has a chance. And I don't. I think that's reasonable. Well, I, I think I think we did this. Let's say two years ago 
um, I would have had him on my board. Um, I've always been, and it might be because of war, but I've always been a, a fan of his and his candidacy. But um, just like so many players, it takes a, a long career to, to do it, uh, to, you know, to make it to the Hall of Fame. And it seems like he's uh, finally fallen off, but we'll see. Um, there, are, there are actually a couple of players that I didn't want to put on my board, but I feel like they have a small shot to cross the threshold that it would make it very difficult to, uh, to, to vote or to not vote for him, I guess. And you may laugh at me, but uh, Starling Castro and Nick Marcakis, um, as far as 3,000 hits. Now, if you, if you made me uh, you know, bet on their candidacy that, to get 3,000 hits, I'd say they wouldn't. But if you look at Starling Castro's age and his career totals, he is right on par with Jose Altuve. Now, Altuve has a, um, a higher rate right now, I guess you can say. But uh, Starling Castro, just the fact that he started out when I think he was 20 years old, he, he's racking up hits. And only time will tell. Probably won't happen, but it would make an interesting uh, debate, you know, as far as the 3,000 hits if he were to get there. And same with Nick, Nick Marquez. Uh, probably won't do it, but if he got the 3,000 hits, um, man, it would be it would be a uh, interesting vote. Yeah, that would be really interesting if to see a guy that gets there who is basically just been average his whole career and he's having a great year this year. Right. But uh, that would cause confusion, I think, if nothing else. Another guy who I thought was interesting, and, and Dan Samborski came on right before the season started. Maybe it was right right after the season started, but we were doing long-term projections with Zips. And he thinks that, uh, or Zips has, Cody Bellinger with over 600 home runs because he's oh, wow. so young and was so good as a rookie. Now, if he hits 600 home runs, obviously he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. But uh, neither one of us took him because it's just kind of ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous when he said that to project a guy who has been in the league now for two years, a year and a half, to hit 600 career home runs. It's one thing to project that for Stanton. It's a whole other thing for Bellinger. So Bellinger's upside on these projection systems is outrageous. And if he hits those numbers, he will comfortably get in. But I don't know if he's going to be that guy. It's still hard to even get to 400 home runs, you know? Yeah, so much has to go right um, for that to happen. And, uh, you know, a guy so young, uh, this is coming from the guy who picked Juan Soto. But yeah, a guy so young, so many things have to go right that it's probably, you know, not likely, I guess. Not likely, indeed. Well, Dan, this was a tremendous amount of fun. You've been listening to Dan Hirsch. Dan is the creator of the Baseball Gauge. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Dan Hirsch. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Yes, thanks for having me.